Welcome to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller writers in conversation about female characters who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Wendy Hurd, and I'm here with Lane Fargo. Hello. And Kristen LaPianca. Hello. Well, so we're here to talk about hysteria. What a moment to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So uh, pathetic in a terrible way. Yes, we should should point out that we are um, recording this on March 15th. So the crazy hysteria of the world has like, it has hit a new level this week. Yeah. Yeah. And this episode, so recording it on March 15th, it's not going to air until mid-April. Like, are we all going to be living in like bunkers by then? Like, what what do you guys think? (laughs) I hope we're back to normal. I really do. I do not think we're going to be back to normal by then. I think that everyone needs to stay inside as much as possible so that any people who have it but don't have symptoms or only have mild symptoms can get over it and then become not contagious anymore and stop spreading it to everyone else. And I think that's the only way that this really ends. Yeah. So I just keep seeing it's like everyone's going to such extremes. So there's the like, yeah, you can never leave your house and look upon the sky again. Like, <laughs> total, like, bunker mentality. Like, right. buy up all the yeah. toilet paper. The world is ending. And then, here in Chicago, there are these fucking idiots out at, like, bar crawls for St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. And I'm like, come on, people. Like, there's a middle ground where you take reasonable precautions and, like, don't go to crowded places and, like, stay home if you're yeah. if you're sick. or Like, all of that stuff is, like, totally reasonable, common sense, public health. Buy stuff on Amazon if you can. You know, don't go to don't go to any places you don't have to go, et cetera. Yeah. It's just... Walk it's your dog. Bar, don't cough on people. Bar crawl people. I don't know, man. They're crazy anyway. Well, it's just really disturbing that, like, it's, it's this is exposing... A, a very disturbing quality in a lot of people where like ha- them having a fun time is like more of a priority than like the well-being of everyone in the world yeah. it's like you could just not have fun this St. Patrick's Day it would be okay <laughs> <laughs> how is that fun anyway I've never understood uh, no, I don't, the bar no. crawl people I was no. so relieved when the parade got cancelled though because that's like my least favorite day in Chicago and never go yeah. outside on St. Patrick's Day anyway is there that is- a big holiday there? Yeah, well, we have oh. this like, river parade. thing. Yeah, they dye the river green, and there's this big parade, and people are drunk at like seven forty-five in the morning. They dry. They dye the river. Yeah, they dye the river bright green. How have you never heard of this or seen? I this? don't know. I don't know. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. That so seems it's basically bad. like you just do not want to like leave your house unless you're partying for St. Patrick's Day because it's just like the trains are overrun with drunk people wearing green and like vomiting everywhere. And- <laughs> oh, so like England. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst. Um, and then like there's a neighborhood in Chicago called Wrigleyville that's right by Wrigley Field where the Cubs play and it's like a fraternity house on the best of days and on St. Patrick's Day it's like an actual hellscape that I have many times said we should bomb from orbit and never was that more true than yesterday when all those people were there for the bar crawls and spreading the disease everywhere but um yeah for me like this doesn't (laughs) like being told to quarantine and self-isolate I'm like I've been preparing for this my whole life like hermit life (laughs) yeah I saw a tweet that was like like it said like practice uh, social distancing I am an expert expert (laughs) distancing it's like yeah I I would agree with that absolutely no problem here yeah, all the writers. 
I had to go to the store yesterday just because it was Sunday and I or I, and Saturday I always go grocery shopping, you know. So I was like, well, I gotta go to the store, you know. And I get there and it was the most dystopian, weirdest shit. Like empty shelves, people what running around with masks and uh, rubber gloves on. Um, and then it's LA, right? So also homeless dudes just coughing in the aisles like mm-hmm. at the same time. So I'm like, and then so I'm like trying to find stuff to buy for for food for the week. As like I'm in this weird dystopian and there's like an hour wait to check out. And then as I'm doing this, a dog starts barking in the middle of the grocery store. (laughs) (laughs) We went out like again, we went out on Friday to grocery shop just because it was like when we need to grocery shop, not because we were stocking up. Um, And like I had seen the pictures from Trader Joe's in Chicago and I was like, well, there's no point in going there. Um, All the big stores like the parking lots were completely overrun and then we just went to some smaller like locally owned neighborhood grocery stores and they were totally chill they had plenty of food there was no line like it was fine but now i'm like everyone will find out about those and then well that's it. what i did yesterday i was like okay i'm gonna leave the suburbs and go into like my old neighborhood where i used to live and that'll be more chill because it's gonna be all the like suburban ladies with garages who can mm-hmm. be stocking shit up i'm gonna go back to like apartment living grocery store and i thought that would be more chill but it wasn't it's everywhere here you and it's weird yeah I don't know. I just keep thinking about like, I want to be safe and keep other people safe and not go outside too much. But I'm trying to think strategically about how to support local business in this time. Because if we all I know, I think so too. Restaurants we're all just going to buy things. stuff on Amazon and then like all these local businesses will go out of business. I know. Well, I've yeah. seen a lot of businesses saying um, right now is a great time to buy a gift card from mm-hmm. them. Yeah. So you give them your money now. And then when all of this is over, you can use your gift card so it's like you're just sort of like fronting them that money okay, temporarily cool. so i think that's a really good idea yeah we've been ordering takeout and i mean i'll i'm still going out some like not very much and we have a car so like i don't have to go on public transit necessarily um but like i'm have a haircut on tuesday and i'm gonna go because i don't want my stylist to go without that money and I'll just wash my hands and she'll do the same and it just I I don't know it's a mess it's a mess it really is showing the cracks in our system I mean they're not even cracks it's like the way our whole society is designed is fundamentally fucked yes (laughs) so I I don't know about you but like it was kind of interesting to research hysteria for this episode about the hysterical woman in the middle of all this Hmm. Yeah, for some context, so we picked this topic, The Hysterical Woman, because um, for our second episode in April, I'm interviewing Sarah Sliger, who's the author of this book called Take Me Apart, that has a really interesting portrayal of uh, mental illness and how like we culturally uh, understand like mental illness in women. So that was why we, we picked this topic, and then it just turned out to be terrifyingly prescient. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so what do we mean by the hysterical woman in the first Can place? I tell you some stuff I discovered? Can I like yes. give you some history I found out? So I was researching the hysterical woman, the history of it. And one thing I discovered was that um, going all the way back to ancient Greece, they had a diagnosis of hysteria. They believed that the uterus was a living creature within like a being within a being and that it wandered around the female body, an animal <laughs> within an animal. Okay, So it just like moved around at will that caused 
that cause symptoms <laughs> by wandering around the woman's body and putting pressure on other organs. Oh my god! And the his standard <laughs> cure for this was called hysterical suffocation, which would <gasps> be to place smells under a woman's genitals. And uh, what different <laughs> smells at the nose? Like what kind of smells? Because s- <laughs> sneezing could be induced to move the uterus back into its proper p- position. Um. Also, <laughs> moving forward, <clears throat> there was also a problem with um, as move as as was natural. Um, Semen was seen as a restorative, like oh. a, as a course. <laughs> and what they thought happened was that women would retain too much menstrual fluid inside their uterus, and semen would thin it out. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, no wonder we're all doomed. <laughs> Oh my god, that's just so oh like my these god. male doctors so are like, you know what like you need is a dick, dick. lady. So <laughs> the, the cure was a good dicking and oh god. fumigating the uterus by putting special scents under the genitals. Oh my god. <laughs> and it, later on, um, yeah, there it just continued all the way through the Renaissance, this belief that the uterus moved around. I did not know this. <laughs> I'm just like trying to picture like your uterus like bouncing around, like going wild. <laughs> right. I think it's more of a creeping. A creeping. Oh, like a creeping, like a like a, a slithering, maybe. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but this line I found: self treatment such as masturbation was not recommended. Oh, heavens no! <laughs> Only the dick. Marriage and regular sexual encounters with the husband would do the trick because of the restorative nature. So I thought that women suffered because we didn't have the benefit of ejaculation. <laughs> and so male ejaculate could help us. Wow. Oh, God. Thank you to all those men selflessly <laughs> <laughs> treating this condition in the right. women in their lives. Oh, my God. They thought this. They thought that lack of marriage was like a real cause. Like uh, single women and nuns, widows, and those past menopause were really like the most uh, vulnerable to hysteria. The retention of sexual fluid. That was another one. <laughs> the retention <laughs> of sexual fluid. Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm like crying. <laughs> this is. Oh wait, here's a quote. Because of the retention of sexual fluid, the heart and surrounding areas are enveloped in a morbid and moist. Exudation. No. <laughs> this is especially true of the more liv- lascivious females, inclined to venery, whatever, passionate women who are most eager to experience physical pleasure. If she is of this type, she can she cannot ever be relieved except by aid, except that of her parents who are advised to find her a husband. So it's like Wait, too having done so is the problem. The man's strong and vigorous intercourse alleviated the frenzy. Oh, strong and vigorous oh, no. frenzy <laughs> so anyway later on we decided it was an, it was probably more of an issue of the brain and women carried smelling salts around right and then this moved into a really questionable like a very hotly debated which is this idea of pelvic massage that was supposedly yes, yes it's very contentious apparently like was pelvic massage used as widely as people say it was Apparently, doctors massaged women in order to in, 
induce um what was it called something paroxysm paroxysm yes. hysterical paroxysms orgasm right wow yeah, there's a whole play about this by yes. Sarah Rule called um, In the Next Room or The Vibrator Play, which is like a fictionalization of this, like these doctors who, like in the play, it's um, this woman is married to a doctor who develops this device to help women with their hysteria and like is treating all of these female patients in their home, like in the next room where his wife can hear. And she's like incredibly... Uh, sexually unsatisfied like he's like this very cold and distant man and she's like hearing him like <laughs> pleasuring all these other women and she's like I want to try it and he's like no 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 <laughs> this is for science <laughs> <laughs> there's also um, a movie called Hysteria with Maggie Gyllenhaal from about 10 years ago I think um, that is sort of um, about this where the the device in the movie is based on an electric feather duster. <laughs> nice. <laughs> There's uh, all this stuff about like was the vibrator invented to relieve men of the need to exhaust themselves uh, manually doing this sexual paroxysms thing. They're strong and vigorous intercourse. It's too much. Or too much work. like I'm looking at the ads for the first like mass produced vibrators that went into homes and they're all advertising like helps with flatulency and stomach troubles helps with scalp troubles and you see people like putting the vibrator on their bodies in various places it helps with gout and influenza mm. <clears throat> yeah and there's sort of like some later ones where they're like kind of now they're like tongue-in-cheek like made by women who know what women want like that's mm-hmm. in, like the early 20th century well, I've always found it hilarious. So, um, like the Hitachi Magic Wand, which is one of the most popular vibrators, certainly in in my house. <laughs> um, if you really? buy one, which I have, uh, they're several actually. Um, they're, they come with <laughs> instructions, and it's supposed to be like a personal massager. So it'll say in the instructions like where you can use it on the body, and there's like a big. <laughs> over the genitals they're like this is not this is like for your back and your shoulders and like maybe if you have like tight calves but like not your genitals and I'm like come on like you know what everyone's using this for please (laughs) so yes so what do you all think about this hysteria thing like I kind of feel like I'm thinking about British people and their distaste for anything emotional, you know, like any over emotional, like a display of emotion is like so distasteful in that culture. And I'm wondering if being so influenced by the British culture here in America, if maybe some of were like still have some of that lingering feelings toward any women who show too much emotion, like we talked about last time. I think there's also just um, with any medical malady that mostly afflicts women um, that is not easily explainable, there's a tendency to just kind of lump it all into this one like vague category. Like I've talked about this before with I have chronic pain and I've been diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And I think not that it's not real, but I feel like they're lumping all of these disorders into this one category because it mostly affects women. And they're like, it's just it's just fibromyalgia. We don't know what to do with it. Like just it's fine. Deal with it. Uh, and I think hysteria was like that, where there are like obviously real mental health issues going on for some of these women, possibly real physical issues. Some of them were just unruly, like or 
you know, hot tempered, whatever, like showing too much emotion by the definition of the men around them. And they just lumped it all into this medical diagnosis so that they could like slap a name on it and shut the women up. Yeah. Then there's also like the um, the the real personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, which is diagnosed four times as frequently in women as in men. Uh, even though some of the symptoms include things like uh, being dramatic and lively and flirtatious. Um, So I think that that is really very strange, a personality disorder that is only really diagnosed in women, you know. It's Mm -hmm. curious. So I was reading um, over the past week, I'm still reading it, this book called too much how victorian constraints still bind women today have you guys mm. heard of this book Ooh, i've heard of it i haven't read it yet yeah it's by rachel verona coat um, i think it just came out i found it on the new release table at my local feminist bookstore so i think it's pretty recent and it is fascinating i think i'm going to be bringing it up a lot in these archetype episodes because she touches on a lot of the various archetypes that we're going to discuss but um some quotes from this so like the book opens with this quote A weeping woman is a monster. So too is a fat woman, a horny woman, a woman shrieking with laughter. So it's like all of these different (laughs) things that are excessive, Mm -hmm. like too much. You're like too horny, too happy. Your body is too big. You're showing too much emotion. Like all of these things are kind of lumped into calling a woman hysterical, excessive, like all all of that. So I thought that was interesting. It's like that book, uh, Too Fat, Too Slutty, Too Loud. Remember that? That was really good. And then probably my favorite quote in this book is, we are the women who can hardly contain our screams, and oftentimes we don't. <laughs> <laughs> like, <Love it>. yeah. <laughs> Tattoo that on my ass. <laughs> right. <laughs> but she also talks a lot about hysteria in the book um, and like the history of the vibrator. And she actually did bring up that uterus moving around the body thing. Oh, uh, my God. She mentioned that. Um, oh, I actually did write down a quote about that, that Victorian woman, women would carry smelling salts to revive them because they thought that the uterus disliked the pungent odor and would be enticed to meander back to its appropriate place within the loins. It's like you were just wearing a corset for like 12 hours. That's what happened. Yeah. You're wearing a fucking corset. But she also talked about hysteria and how, like, there were doctors who believed that this was a real thing and were diagnosing it. And then there were other doctors who didn't think it was real, but not because they were like, okay, you're pathologizing normal emotions, but because they thought the women who were experiencing these symptoms were lying about it or just like being (laughs) dramatic for attention, Mm. which, I mean, I'm so glad we've left that to to history and we don't talk about women that way anymore. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) For God's sake. Yeah, it's a really, really good book so far. I have a bit more of it to go, but highly recommended um, Too Much by Rachel Verona Cote. Yeah, so like in fiction, this shows up all over the place. You know, you have constant, I think women tend to write a lot of this into their fiction. You know, mm-hmm. the the female char- main character not being believed. It turns mm-hmm. into like, crosses over into what we talked about last time and into yes. unreliable narrators. <clears throat> Yeah, into unreliable narrators. I was thinking it it definitely overlaps with the woman who won't let it yes, go. It also sure. overlaps with an archetype that we're going to discuss eventually, um, the psycho bitch, mm-hmm. which yeah. is like when a woman is hysterical and also wants to like stab you, <laughs> <laughs> like fatal attraction style. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just the whole idea that it's like if a woman's hysterical, she's showing 
emotion that is like excessive or over the top for the situation but like who is deciding what is over the top it's the fucking patriarchy right right yeah (laughs) it's also like she's not in control of herself and this idea that women cannot control themselves and that men have to help us control ourselves right yeah well i think in some ways like the hysterical woman is like phase one of the woman who won't let it go like First, yeah. she becomes hysterical about this, and then, depending on what happens, she may become fixated. <clears throat> so it's sort well, of like a a continuation. I feel like it can go the other way, too, though. I was thinking about Jennifer's body, which we've talked about on the show before, and there are other things like that where it's like a woman who's kind of investigating something bent on revenge, and then, like, at the end gets locked up in an asylum because <laughs> people think she's crazy. Right. The craft, too, that happens to Nancy mm-hmm. in the craft. Yeah. So it can go either way. You can end up branded crazy no matter what you do, ladies. <laughs> I was thinking about that, uh, the Ruth Ware book, The Woman in Cabin 10. Mm-hmm. And I believe the female character, her name is Lo, and she sees something and no one believes her. And I was thinking about like how differently I felt about that than I felt about um, AJ Finn's The Woman in the Window our favorite <laughs> book. Yeah, I was like so angry at his depiction of this, but I was so like on board with Ruth Ware's with Ware's depiction of this. I have I have a theory about that. I think it's because Ruth Ware doesn't hate women. Right, I exactly. Why. I think that's exactly what it is. So I'm not Wait. reading this feeling like you're writing this hatefully at us. Have you guys seen the trailer for the movie of Woman in the Window? No. no. I saw looks- a poster for it the other day and I was like, "Oh, right, that fucking thing is happening it looks really bad like like <laughs> terrible lifetime movie bad so um i love amy adams but uh <laughs> obviously hoping this fails for other reasons right <laughs> anyway that's neither here nor there um but yeah woman in cabin 10 she is someone who has like a diagnosed mental illness as well right and like is on medication and they use that and it's just too. um anxiety or depression right. or something it's not like anything that psycho you know nothing that she's not on psychotropics or something Right, it's not something where she could be like hallucinating or, or whatever. It's just yeah. like kind of middle of the road exactly. that, uh, mental illness that I think these days I'm like if I meet someone who doesn't have some sort of anxiety diagnosis or like anti-anxiety medication prescription, I'm just like how? Right. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it's just normal now. Like how could you live in the world and not have anxiety? Like, like capital A. Yeah, I guess like it's probably like the world is uh, divided into two groups: people who are on anti-anxiety meds and people who eventually will be. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, it's gonna. Yeah, but then we won't be able to go to the pharmacy to get them because we're all locked in our houses. That's true. <laughs> I need to refill my Xanax prescription. Thank you for the reminder. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, what are some other examples of this? Um, one I wrote down. Like, this is kind of an obvious one, but Bertha from Jane Eyre. Like, oh, obviously, yeah. yeah. Because we have, like, her husband, his word that she's crazy and right. can't be controlled and has to be locked in the attic for her own <laughs> safety, mm-hmm. which, uh, cool story, bro. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm always, like, I don't know, like, you read that book as a teenage girl and you're like, Rochester is so dreamy. And then, like, you see the movie with Michael Fassbender and, like, yeah, he's super hot. But that is fucked. Yeah, it like, really is. <laughs> Ugh, it's so disturbing. That's why I'm, uh, whenever people ask about, like, do you prefer Rochester or Heathcliff when you're, like, terrible gothic men, I always say Heathcliff. I mean, he's, like, awful, but at least he doesn't lock women in attics. <laughs> right. I mean, he imprisons them in their own home, but it's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's totally different. Um, they're both terrible. 
But yeah, so she, like, you see her in the book, and she's obviously, like, there's something going on there, but you're like, did she go crazy, and that's why he locked her up, or did she go crazy because he locked her up? Right, exactly. Who could say? I read about this a bit in the Kill Club, where everyone tell, thinks that Jazz is like needs to calm down, need to calm down. Like it's, it's just such a frustrating thing for us, right? Like it feels like wherever we go in institutions, anything that's like a patriarchal system, the first thing we need to do is to calm down. Like when I had my concussion, I, I just don't know how to explain how frustrating it was to just kept being sent home, be sent home, be sent home, because it's like, you're fine, you need to calm down. And it, like, I got sent home from the emergency room. I got sent home from every single doctor's appointments telling me that I needed to calm down and that everything was fine. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so- and that, like, makes you, like, if you know something is wrong, that just makes you less calm. And then they're like, whoa, 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 like, you need to calm down even more. It's just a vicious cycle. Yeah, and the, it's it's all wrapped up in the idea of, the, like, these these men who are completely outside of our bodies think that they somehow know better what women are actually physically experiencing Mm because it's like you say oh i know something is wrong they're like no i can tell it's not (laughs) so like like, i don't know have you guys experienced this where i feel like because of all of that messaging my whole life i don't always trust my own emotional reactions to things like it's like there's like an internal voice in me that says like you're probably wrong just calm down and I, I have really struggled with that. Yeah, I feel like I, I struggle with that constantly where it's like you, I have a reaction and I just I immediately doubt it. Like, was that the wrong thing? Like, even when it's even when it's sort of a reaction of like, you know, self-preservation or taking care of yourself, you're still like, oh, no, can I trust myself? Because we're just conditioned to feel like, no, you can't. You're wrong. Just calm down. And we're conditioned to hide it and kind of smooth it out, too, because something um, I learned, I was doing, I mentioned this before, that I was doing somatic therapy for a while, which involves sort of like sitting with emotions and letting them like move through your body physically. And it's really interesting, like there are really strong emotions that you can have that if you just kind of sit there and feel them and like allow them and don't try to question them or judge them or shove them aside, they just like pass through you and then you're fine. But we're constantly told to like get it together, behave, like don't cry in public, don't right. do this, don't do that. And then you shove them down. And then that causes not just mental issues, but like actual physical issues in the body where if we all could just like breathe through it. I mean, that that's something that men have a problem with too, because they're always told to contain their emotions. And then they're telling us to contain our emotions. And then we're all fucking messes. Well, right. Men are, men are supposed to contain their emotions that could be interpreted as like soft but women are told to contain emotions that are that could be interpreted as hard or anything that makes anyone feel uncomfortable because it's too much so it's like men can be angry women can't right Uh, it's also like women can cry men can't but women also shouldn't cry too much because that makes the men feel uncomfortable or we shouldn't cry in certain situations like i know i'm a person where if i am frustrated i will cry and it is so inconvenient in like a professional setting or angry yes absolutely like i i i pretty much only cry when i'm frustrated or mad i (laughs) it's like and then you know people are like oh no don't don't cry shut up (laughs) i'm curious if you would just cry for like five minutes it would 
I mean, not be fine, but you would like process the the emotion. But we're just yeah. we have to keep it under control because yeah. I mean, I have cried in business meetings before, and it is like the most humiliating thing because yes. just you come across as weak and unhinged and all this stuff and it really it's just frustration and that's just how it manifests right it's like that's just how the body processes it and it's totally normal and fine but like god forbid you make anyone feel the slightest bit uncomfortable so you have to just contain it for the sake of all of the men in the room like it's bullshit something else that came up in that too much book that i mentioned um she talks about ugly crying versus like pretty crying <laughs> oh, yeah interesting. which she also said that the term ugly crying was coined by oprah winfrey which i was like what oh my <laughs> oprah has given us so much um <laughs> but yeah so she talks about like there's this sexualization of, mm-hmm. of female craziness and sorrow and everything she talks about Lana Del Rey and mm-hmm. yep. um, like beautiful mental patients like a girl interrupted <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that yep. where it's like you can be crazy and cry but you have to like be hot while you do it like <laughs> yeah. you have to be fuckable and then like men will want to take care of you but if you're an ugly crier and like really just showing raw emotion then like no one wants to be around you and that's not okay <laughs> And she talks about how this is something, this like pretty kind of depiction of this like sexy mental illness is something that really is only available to like beautiful young white women. Like that's true. If you're not in that category, like forget it. Right. (laughs) I would also posit like thin white women. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Beautiful, young, thin white women. Well, I mean, our social uh, definition of beauty like pretty much includes that. So, (laughs) right. But I feel like just like, this um, type of pretty girl does not is a very different type. Like, for example, a voluptuous young woman will never get this part. No, this is very much like the the beautiful tortured waif. Yes, type and of I, role. I there's something to unpack there about maybe it's because she has to be childlike or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like an innocence to it as opposed to being like too sexy. I mean, that's if you think about Girl Interrupted, um, which I know is based on. A memoir, so mm-hmm. it's like not entirely fiction, but like Winona Ryder's character versus Angelina Jolie's, who's much more Angelina is much more like aggressive and yeah. sexual. Yeah. And um, Winona, Winona Ryder's kind of entire brand in the '90s was sort of this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I loved her, and I wanted to be her, but like, and I wanted to marry her. It's very confusing, but like, yeah. This is like there's definitely like a type of actress that is this in every role. Mm-hmm. I kind of also was thinking about hysteria and how um, it applies in to that gaslighting thing where like, yeah. I feel like men come into situations, make a judgment and are immediately confident that they've made a judgment. They judged something correctly and they're almost half the time wrong. Right. But they're very confident in that. Like, they, like for example, they meet a guy like, I don't like the look of him. He's not a good guy. You know, they're not going to unpack why they think that or what, you know, they're just going to kind of go with their gut and have like a gut instinct and they'll really like defend it. I don't know if any of y'all have ever argued with men who were defending like a narrative that they've sort of strung together in their heads that they get very attached to it. Like yeah. they feel like they just come in trusting their judgment. And for women... It's kind of the opposite. I feel like we have like opposite problems. Like we don't trust our judgment enough. And so it's interesting between male, men and women because I feel like it shows up a lot in like, I'm sure it shows up in a lot of people's marriages. Like, you know, I'm sure it shows up in a lot of, you know, cr- you know, partnerships and career settings. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I, yes, definitely. Um, I feel like in professional settings, like, 
I've been in a position at multiple jobs where there's like a tech related thing that I completely understand and am trying to say what the problem is. And there is a man who also understands it from the tech side, but doesn't understand the communication side and just takes one look at it and is like, no, you're wrong. It's fine. It works. And it's like, no, it doesn't work. You need to actually look at it. But, you know, he's like, no, it, it's fine. It works. It's good. I have the same thing happen to me at work all the time. So frustrating. Constantly. Yeah. <clears throat> I actually started having to bring a male colleague. It can be anyone with me into meetings with tech teams <laughs> just so that they will listen to me mm-hmm. because having a man with me makes me seem more credible. Yeah. It's so <laughs> infuriating. Like... I've brought random people, like dude who doesn't even work on this project, just come with me to this meeting, sit next to me. Nod. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, I would say like in my relationship, I'm the more like sure of myself (laughs) one where I like come in and I'm like, this is how it is. And my partner is more like questioning his perspective. So it's kind of interesting. But yeah, I've definitely had that experience at work although not so much in my job which oh which i just quit last week by the way oh my god Uh, (laughs) are you sure you can trust your judgment to do that are you sure Um, no because i felt a little insane doing that in the midst of this global crisis i was like really should i but i did it so um yeah but i'm kind of like (laughs) i was sort of like considered an expert on some of the technical stuff in my role and people will ask me questions all the time that I don't know the answer to uh this is kind of the opposite thing but I've definitely seen that where like people take men more seriously in in technical situations and most of the men I know don't know like that much about technology so it's really stupid (laughs) yeah it's it's like completely stupid to to assume that men know more about something like men are not better suited to understand technology it's no. n- at all like that's preposterous. I <clears throat> remember this one time I had uh, in my apartment, there was like one electrical outlet that or a couple electrical outlets that like the lamps plugged into them were really dim all of a sudden. And so <clears throat> I called my landlord and he was like, do you need to replace the light bulb? <laughs> and I, I said, no, it's not a, an issue of the light bulb. There's something wrong with the outlet and he said maybe it's your lamp and I said no it's not the lamp it's happening on multiple outlets and so he came over and insisted that I demonstrate for him by taking a lamp that worked in one outlet and moving it to the other outlet and like screwing in a light bulb and changing the light bulb and it was only after like an ex- an excessive demonstration of the fact that there was something wrong with the outlet he was like you know I think there's something wrong with the outlet oh my and god I was just like, wow really <laughs> Uh, and you don't like he would not have talked to a man that way. I don't know. Absolutely not. I've had like when we bought our condo, when we did the inspection, my partner couldn't be there. And the inspector kept showing me things and being like, well, this thing like your your husband could fix this. <laughs> and I'm like, listen, buddy, like <laughs> I am way more handy than, than Nate is like if anyone's fixing anything, it's me. So yeah. like, <laughs> well, <laughs> the same landlord actually several years after the the light bulb incident we had like a sewage issue in the building that had like caused sewage backup in all of the basements and he um after really badly handling getting professionals out to fix it he like sent out like a photocopied article about how uh you shouldn't flush tampons because of course it was 
it was the tampon's fault. Not like the hundred year old building with no. shitty pipes <laughs> or anything like that. Just ladies bleeding everywhere. Yep. Oh my god. Like I just imagine him like going to the library and like f- like copying this article. He's like, I'm gonna just gonna copy it, I'm gonna make five copies and I'm gonna handwrite their addresses on these envelopes. Like, dude. <laughs> I um you know how I like the art of war? Mm-hmm. Yes. I brought an inspirational Art of War quote to this episode oh. <laughs> because I thought it might get discouraging to talk about, like, because it's, like, so depressing, all this talk about hysteria. It's just making me angry. Is it making you angry? Yes. <laughs> no more so than I usually am. <laughs> like, I have, like, a baseline of rage, so I'm kind of still there, but I, I would love to hear this quote. Okay. <clears throat> I don't, I'm sorry if this is random. Is this random? I just thought it would be fun. No, do it. It's fine. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. Hmm. Interesting. So my point here is that we know the enemy, but they don't know us. Right. That's true. We've talked before about how all women have these like super skills we could be using to take over the world. And maybe now is our chance. (laughs) Maybe this is, maybe this is our moment. With all this unrest. Yes. (laughs) Oh, I did have another, an an uplifting example I wanted to talk about. I think it's um, uplifting. Um, Have you guys seen the movie Midsummer? No, but I want to. I'm obsessed with um, Florence Pugh now. Yeah, so I guess I'm going to give some spoilers because I kind of have to to talk through this whole example. But um, basically, Florence Pugh's character, she suffers like a really awful family tragedy at the beginning of the movie and is like devastated as anyone would be. And she's dating this guy who's like kind of just a dick. Like he takes care of her for a while, but seems kind of like begrudging her having these huge emotions like there's a scene of him holding her while she's like ugly crying after this tragedy has happened and and like everything all of her emotions are completely in proportion to the awfulness of what has happened to her like it is devastating and but he's just kind of like babe like when are you going to be over this so we can like get back to fucking like that's kind of <laughs> this guy's vibe so uh long story short they go to this festival in sweden and it's a horror movie so like everyone dies and then um at the end, they burn her boyfriend alive while she watches and smiles. So she goes from, <laughs> like, hysterical, like, crying to this, like, really terrifying calm at the end of it as she's watching him burn. It's, like, the most satisfying thing. Um, I watched it on Valentine's Day, which oh. I highly recommend to everyone. <laughs> but there's a scene in this movie that was so fascinating to me, which um, after her boyfriend betrays her for the last time um she is crying again like this like ugly crying i mean florence Pugh is gorgeous but like she's not trying to look gorgeous in these (laughs) scenes she's just like full-on wailing and the other women at this swedish commune festival like place where they're staying they all gather around her and they start like crying along with her like kind of they're all like in this circle and they're like wailing and screaming and like staring in each other's eyes and just like it's so visceral it's like 
<laughs> I was watching it and thinking this is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. And also all women need to get together at least every 30 days and, and like do this together. <laughs> <laughs> Just like gather in a circle and scream and wail. Like I feel like it would really help all of us. <laughs> yeah, I can see the, the benefit of that. I need to watch yeah, it, that. Perhaps now is a good time. Yes. I'm sorry I just spoiled it for you, but I feel like that's been on the internet forever. Like yeah. the burning the guy alive. It's so like I knew the whole story before I watched it and I had put it off for a long time because I thought it was going to be depressing. But it's it's a beautiful story of self-actualization and women's liberation. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah. And I hope a lot of women are getting a chance during this shutdown to sort of, you know, regroup and take care of themselves a little bit more than they usually get to. You know, I really hope that. I hope so too. I don't know. I think it depends on um, like if you have a bunch of young kids at home and I'm seeing all of these tweets and stuff from my friends with like multiple children just talking about how they're trying to keep them busy all day. And I'm mostly seeing these tweets from, from mothers, not fathers. Mm. I'll say that there are a few, I've seen a few men tweeting things like this. I don't want to cast aspersions on all of my, male social media friends but it's definitely more women who are taking on the burden at this time right i mean what else is now right i can't help but just sit here and remember all of my years my years and years and years my whole life growing up working in food service and what this would be like right now if i was still working at trader joe's or still waiting tables still working at the coffee bean like you know trying to care for vita and trying to still work but having it be like dangerous to be at work because everybody's sick like i'm really thinking about all those all those mamas right now yep yeah Uh, i hope this you know i hope we can all come together and stay inside and this will pass but it is a very scary time in the world right now um and it is weird to be recording this and knowing we're not going to air it for a couple weeks like seeing how much has changed just in the past week yeah it's like a whole different society i don't know where we'll be when this airs yeah (laughs) maybe we'll be coming to you live from a bunker like i said or maybe (laughs) things will be evening out we'll we'll see um yeah so our next episode like i said is going to be an interview with sarah sliger who wrote a really terrific novel that comes out on april 28th and i just want to say in general like all of the authors who have books coming out right now like i'm so sorry i know I i feel so bad for them people whose like book tours are being canceled and whose like launch events can't happen and it's just like it's it's awful because so much of success as an author is just like timing and momentum yeah that's just absolutely a momentum killer and it only it's like they they count the clock from like six months before release to like one month after release Mm -hmm. and that's pretty much it so if you miss that month i mean they're not gonna like launch a new publicity campaign for you three months after your book came out right yeah, they're onto something else. They're so, already yeah. onto the, the like other my thing. My paperback comes out on April fourteenth, and I don't know how this is going to affect that, but at least it's not my like debut, you know, yeah. like, right. a secondary thing. Um, so I can't imagine how all of these debut authors are feeling or people with brand new books coming out now. So if you have the means, um, we all recommend purchasing books from your local indie bookstore. Most of them will ship. Uh, a lot of them are offering shipping deals right now where it's only like a dollar or sometimes free that's right so yep. it's a great way to support Ooh, authors right and now. can i hype a book that comes out oh crap it's gonna have already been out for a few weeks but can i hype a book real quick that's just yeah. about to come out right now uh diana urban's um 
All Your Twisted Secrets is coming out this Tuesday. It'll have been out for a few weeks when this when this airs. It is so good and it's so unlikable female characters. It's a young adult thriller. So if you're looking for something unlikable, I highly recommend that one. I'm very excited to read that. Um, it comes out, what, March 17th, which is a few days after we're yeah. recording this, but um, yeah, and it is a locked room mystery. So uh, and it is so well plotted. Like it, like it's like one chapter you're in the locked room, and the next chapter it's twelve months ago. Mm. Then you're in the locked room, and then it's Ooh. eleven months ago. And then and so the locked room, it's like they have one hour. I think it's one hour until like, you know, it's like they've been given like an ultimatum, like do this in one hour or you'll die. So it's like for every such and such amount of time you go back and see a month in the past and, and then it all catches up to the present. It's so good. That sounds amazing. And I'm yeah. kind of one of those readers who I like to read sort of worst case scenario things. So I will definitely be reading that and thinking, well, like I have to stay in my house, but at least I'm not like locked in a room with an hour to live. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever we need to get through the day, right? <laughs> yeah, just the fact that it's a locked room thriller. I was like, all right, good timing. Yep. <laughs> Yes, good luck to Diana and all the authors right now and anything you can do to boost them. Like we all we all appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com. And we're also on Instagram at unlikable female characters. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.